Hey everyone, and welcome to the UFC 224 Aftermath show, and we got a lot to cover. Um, I haven't done one of these in a while because we've been thinking about transferring, well first we were thinking about transferring back to Pittsburgh from Richmond, and now I think we're leaning towards Denver, Colorado. I've got a branch out there for work, so I'm able to go there. We went out and looked at it this past weekend, and we're kind of driving around seeing the neighborhood, so been pretty busy, but uh, at any rate, we got quite a bit of MMA news to get through. Um, what do we start with? Let's First off, Dustin Poirier is going to be rematching Eddie Alvarez at UFC on Fox 30 in Calgary, and that's going to be an interesting fight because it had such a weird outcome the last time, right? Like, Eddie landed an illegal knee, and Dustin felt like he was in control, and then after that knee, well, I don't want to say that Eddie was out of the fight, but it felt like Dustin was going to come away with the win, and that Eddie landed that illegal blow that really, I mean, kind of shifted the tide of the fight, if I'm remembering it correctly. I remember thinking, though, before that knee happened, that there was maybe a chance that Eddie Alvarez could come back and win that fight. I don't know. I remember them both being hurt. I remember them being good. I remember it being a good fight. I mean, you're talking about two of the elite fighters at 155 pounds. Dustin Poirier has been on a tear. Eddie Alvarez just knocked out Justin Gaethje back in December. I'm sure he's ready to get back in the saddle. Um, it's a good fight, and it's probably a title eliminator, honestly. Uh, then he got, like, Kevin Lee sitting there. 155 is such a mess right now. I mean, it's kind of figured out because Habib has the title, and but you still wonder what's going on with Connor, and then Tony Ferguson's there, and Kevin Lee's up there, Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez. I mean, it's such a deep division. I don't know if this is going to be a title eliminator. I mean, you would think so. It checks all the boxes, right? I would think that Kevin Lee is going to fight the winner of this fight. Or maybe Kevin, depending on what Connor does, right? The whole division's kind of held up on what Connor McGregor's going to do. Because if Connor decides to come back, he's going to get the immediate title shot against Habib. But. If Connor does not come back, I would think that it goes to Kevin Lee, especially since this fight is already booked. It might be doing Kevin Lee some favors to not have a fight booked right now. I don't know. Regardless, it's going to be a good fight. Potential title eliminator is probably the best way to phrase it. Potential keyword being the keyword. Um, what else? Nick Newell and Greg Hardy are set to fight on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series this summer, and Nick Newell is a guy who. Fuck, I should know this. I think he fights at a Legacy Fighting Alliance is where he's at right now. But I think he's got, he's got a great record, and he doesn't have one of his hands. And he's been he's been doing really well, finishing guys and everything, man. He's impressive, and this is a good shot for him to prove that he deserves to be on the UFC roster. And as far as Greg Hardy is concerned, I really don't fucking care. I mean, the dude's been in trouble for domestic abuse, right? I don't want that guy in the UFC. I don't know. That's fucking... I, I, I'm i sure he's good. He's a fucking athlete. He was a pro football player. Of course he's going to be... He's going to have potential when he steps into the sport, right? Like his body's been conditioned for war and stuff playing football all these years, but... I just don't like it. I could care less if he gets down to the UFC or not. Sad part is we'll all tune in and watch just to see what the fuck happens, right? So he'll still get views and stuff in that way, but... I don't know. Not... Not too concerned with whether he makes it or not. Um, 50 Cent has been feuding with... Well, I don't know if you want to call it feuding, but he was photographed doing some kind of paperwork with Scott Coker over some papers or something like that, right? And he's talking about fighting Rampage Jackson. What in the fuck is going on here? Rampage. 
a former UFC light heavyweight champion is going to fight a rapper. A guy who's been fighting, and I think he wrestled all through high school, but he's been fighting for years. I mean, I don't care how old he is. He's going to beat the fucking brakes off of 50 Cent. Give me. I don't care if you've been bought. You've never... <sighs> it's a goddamn joke, but it's also entertainment value, and it's Bellator, so why the fuck not? You're competing with the largest MMA organization in the world in the UFC, so if you can throw fights like this together and get your views up, more power to you. Fucking do it. But... Is it a smart... Is it, is it even going to be... San- like, are they even going to be able to sanction this fight? I would think not. I would think that the athletic commissions are going to put up... If Ally Quinta could... Or, if I'm sorry. If Paul Felder... I mean, granted, this was in New York, and I think they got a lot of figuring out to do. I thought Paul Felder had a very good argument to fight Habib. But my point is, if an athletic commission is going to block Paul Felder from fighting Habib, how in the fuck are they going to let Rampage Jackson fight 50 Cent? How is that going to work? Oh my god. We'll find out, I guess, but... I don't know. It just seems fucking crazy to me. You're going to watch a rapper get his ass beat. And that's all we're tuning in to see. We already know it's going to happen. We just want to actually see it happen, right? Like, we actually want to see that... We want to see that dream become a reality, right? Or... I mean, I don't know. It's not much of a dream for me, but... Regardless, you want to see it take shape and actually see... Some type of fantasy like this take place. And... With Conor McGregor fighting Floyd, that was a that was a reach and everything, right? But it's not as crazy as this. Actually, CM Punk fighting is almost as crazy as this. So maybe it will fucking happen. Who knows? But the way things are going, I don't. I don't know. But if it happens, Fifty Cent's just gonna get his fucking ass beat. There's no getting around it. Uh, another big topic, pretty big news. Uh, the Supreme Court, basically, I mean, in layman's terms, they left gambling up to the states. And I would imagine that most of the states are going to adopt it, right? And that's going to open, well, the first thing that you have to worry about that I'm sure comes to a lot of people's minds is whether we're going to start to see fixed fights more often. This could potentially be harmful for the sport, but I really don't think so. I think that enough betting has been happening uh, like illegally anyway using offshore betting ads apps and stuff like that that i really don't think that's going to matter i think we're still going to see a pretty i mean maybe it'll happen once in a while or something something big will happen but i don't think it's going to turn into this massive problem all of a sudden you know i don't think you're going to see a whole lot of fighter maybe in lower level organizations but when you start getting into like bellator world series of fight or whatever world series of fighting is called now professional fighting league or something like that in the UFC, I don't think you're going to see shit like that start to become a real problem. Um, oh, I don't have this one written down, but we need to talk about Yair Rodriguez getting cut. And if it's actually true, if he actually has been terminated by the UFC and he's a free agent, first off, he's going to get picked up by Bellator. Almost definitely he's going to. And it's going to add another... I mean, Bellator's got some fucking talent over there, man. they got a lot of good people. they got a lot of great fighters. And adding a guy like Yair, who is... I mean, Frankie Edgar proved to you that he's not the best in the world yet. But he has potential to be at some point in his career. That kid is phenomenal. He's explosive. He's fun to watch. Man, they I just feel like the UFC fucked up by letting this kid go. But at the same time, you gotta you gotta take fights. And I don't know all the details of the situation, right? But to me it sounds like Yair was turning down fights against Ricardo Lamas, and then he turned one down against Zabit. Magomed Sharapov, I think is his last name. That's how you pronounce it. I hope I'm not fucking that up. But you can't turn down fights. 
like you gotta fight. You get that's what you get paid for. I don't so I don't know all the stories. Maybe there's some reasoning behind why Yair was turning down the fights. I would imagine so, right? I doubt he's just saying no, no, no. Like the kid wants to fight, I'm sure. So it'd be interesting to hear his side of the story, but I mean, according to Dana White, the kid's gone. And he, I, I would guess that he's going to end up in Bellator if that really is the case. Oh, what else do we got? Tito Ortiz is talking about fighting Chuck Liddell for the third time. I also thought, saw that John Jones wants to fly Chuck Liddell out to Albuquerque. He said he'd like beat his ass tomorrow or something, which is probably true to be. Chuck Liddell's getting old, and John Jones is, I mean, arguably in his prime right now. Regardless of how active he's staying, he's still in the probably the best athletic shape of his life. He looked phenomenal when he fought DC. Uh, but anyway, Tito Ortiz versus Chuck Liddell 3 is interesting, I guess. It's going to take... Bellator's a king of putting on fights between all these old fucking legends that don't really have it in the tank anymore. So, I mean, you've been making a bunch of fights like that anyway. Why not just throw this one on the ballot as well? Fuck it. You know it's going to get... Like, like we just talked about with the... Uh, 50 cent thing you know this fight's gonna get people are gonna tune in to watch this it's gonna do nothing but help your brand out they we love watching these old fuckers fight uh i don't know i don't know what to think of that one i would think that i want to see what i mean tito stayed more active than chuck as of late right so you would think the upper hand goes to him but it would be interesting to see how chuck looks i don't know i don't know if that's gonna end up happening or not if chuck really wants to do it i'm sure it will i mean what the fuck? There's so much chaos going on. Anyway, all right, let's move on and actually recap the card that happened this past weekend. Um, I didn't do a breakdown or anything for this, so there's no, like, betting results or keep track of the record. Like I said, I was traveling and stuff, and I was in Denver watching the fight. So, all right, let's start off with the first fight between Leo Dimitrita and Vitor Belfort. And Leo Dimitrita... Oh, man, he, he fucked Vitor up in the second round. He hit him with that... I mean, straight leg kick, or uh, I'm sorry, straight up kick, and he, it, 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 you know what it looked like? It looked exactly, almost the same, it was the same leg, his left leg and everything. It was the same exact way that Anderson Silva knocked Vitor out, right? And that's on a hot, this, I mean, this knockout that Lyoto just had over Vitor is going to be played on highlight reels throughout UFC history. You know what I mean? It was that spectacular. It's going to be just like the Anderson Silva front kick to Vitor. It's weird that he might be the only fighter to get knocked out by two up kicks in the UFC. I can't think of anyone else that's ever, that it's ever happened to. I mean, I don't not maybe once. There's I don't think it's ever happened to anyone twice. Oh man, poor Vitor. But it's about time that he hangs it up, right? That might have. I mean, his wake up call should have came a little while ago. I think, but. I, but when he was on TRT, he was knocking out guys like Luke Rockhold, who's one of the best in the world. And you take him off that, and now he's... I mean, since then, who's he lost to? Chris Weidman? Um, I can't think of anyone off the fucking top of my head. Lyoto now, obviously. Um, I don't know. I can't, I can't fucking remember off the top of my head, but the point is, it's about time for Vitor to get on out the door. Um, and for Lyoto... Kind of the opposite, right? He's been looking good, and he beat a young up-and-coming prospect and Eric Anders before this, just knocked out Vitor. I mean, granted, I don't think the Vitor win's a great win, but it proves that you're still you're, th- you're still there. Like, you're still a little bit of a problem at 185, right? And I don't know who you give this guy next. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, 
Big win for Leo Dimitrito, and he did it in highlight real fashion. I mean, very impressive knockout over Vitor. And uh, Vitor's had a long career, man. He's had a rough... A lo- he, he also, I believe, his sister was kidnapped by, I think, the Brazilian mob. Was that it? Or Mafia? And, like, burned alive. And I mean, this kid, he's had a rough life, and he was going through all that as he was coming up in MMA. So, I don't know. I wish nothing but the... Nothing but the best for Vitor. Really, he's he's been an honorable guy the whole time he's fought. I've enjoyed watching him fight, but I've said I said this on the last podcast. We're getting to that point where all these fighters that we well, at least for me, I I started watching in like the Rampage era and the Chuck Liddell era and the Tito Ortiz era. Right back in like when I was in middle school, I started watching the UFC, and I'm starting to see all these guys start to phase out. It's kind of sad, right? But at the same time. It's more sad to see them keep competing. I'm glad when guys like Vitor walk away because I don't think you need to take the punishment. I just don't think you need to do that to yourself. Ah, oh, man. It's going to be it's it's weird to think that Vitor Belfort is done fighting. It's just a strange concept. It sounds foreign cuz he's been doing it for so long since he was like 18 years old back in what, 96 or 97 is when he debuted in the UFC. He's been around for so long. This fight was interesting too because Vitor comes out and a lot of the times he's super aggressive early and he's trying to put it, he tries to bring it all on you, right? Like he's trying to pour it on early and like hope for that explosion to be there and be able to knock you out. And this time I felt like they were playing a patience game. Like they were kind of having, I remember watching the fight and thinking they're kind of going through like a little mental war right now where none of them, they weren't really engaging and Leon Machida is a counterfighter, right? He likes to sit back, wait for you to throw strikes, and then he counters. That's, I mean, that's what he does. He plays the patience game, and it felt like Vitor was trying to play that. And there was a moment where I felt that like that's what was happening. Like they were both trying to hold out and see which one broke first. And I think Vitor threw a shot first. Like a, he he or he really committed to something. And I said, ah, oh, there. That was the first mental battle. Of the fight that was won for Lyoto. And then Lyoto started opening up a little bit more. They both did. But Lyoto was getting a little bit better. The exchanges and stuff. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking damn. Vitor just lost the first mental battle of that fight. And Machida. I mean. Machida's going to sit there all day. If you're not thrown. He's just going to wait for you. You know. He doesn't have to get uber aggressive. He's confident. He, he's been playing this style. You got to think too. you see people do this sometimes and they try to come in and one of the guys who is very successful at it is John Jones. They come in and they try to mimic the style of the other person. But the problem is that the other person has been doing it for so fucking long that you're not going to win the battle against him. Like if you're going to try to play the patience game against Leo Demetrita, you're probably not going to win it. He's probably just going to sit back and wait. Like he's more patient than you are. That's just his game. And it has been the whole time he's been fighting. Um, so I thought it was an interesting fight. Like, there wasn't a whole lot going on early in the first round. But I thought that watching that, that's at least that's the read I got on the fight. I thought watching that aspect of it play out was interesting. Because you knew it was building to something. You were just waiting for that person to throw the first shot. Whereas, like, when you watch Tyron Woodley and Wonderboy fight, it kind of felt like they were holding something back the whole time. This was just like, alright, we're waiting to see who, who cracks first. And then we're going to start throwing our hands and around a little bit and get a little bit more volume going with the striking just kind of had a different feel, you know what I mean? Like, I could, you could sense something coming with this fight. Um, John Lineker was able to knock out Brian Kelleher in the third round in a fight where Lineker, I mean, Lineker's the guy who, if you watch him, 99% of the punches he throws are hooks. 
And he likes he'll throw a little he'll throw jabs out there sometimes, but he likes to go body body head. He likes to beat up your body and then come up top when you start to lower your hands. And he's relentless. And Brian Kelleher's tough as nails, man. This is a tough fight. People don't realize how fucking good John Lineker is. John Lineker has a mediocre record. I think he's like thirty one and eight or something like. It, that's not. I mean, that's a lot of wins. He's. I think he has eight losses, but people don't realize that like six of those eight losses came when. He was fighting in the early stages of his career. I mean, he's fighting at 135 now. All of those lo- those first six losses on his record came from fighting at 145 and 155. And not only was he fighting in a weight class or two weight classes above where he's feeling at home now, but he fought like 15 times in 12 months. To put that into perspective, most people fight three or four times in a year and they're considered, I mean, they're getting their shit done. You know what I mean? They got a lot of stuff going on if they're doing that. That's a lot of camp, and he was doing 15 times in a year? Good Lord, you can't sleep on this kid. He's very good. He lost to TJ Dillashaw and one other person. I can't remember who the fuck it was. I think it was on his UFC debut. But he's a high-level guy. He, I mean, it was just too much for Kelleher. And Henan Burrell's kind of, like I've said this about Henan Burrell before, he's a confident fight, confidence fighter. He reminds me of Anthony Pettis. If you can knock him out of his rhythm early, it throws Henan Burrell off. You know what I mean? He was a guy who hadn't lost for nine years, and then TJ went in and beat him, and it's like he's had a hard time recovering from that. He's got some wins mixed in here and there, but he's had a rough go getting back on a win streak, like a really solid win streak. So Kelleher picking up a win over him was a big win. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Henan Burrell is still a fucking talent. And he's a problem. He's a really hard guy to deal with. But I didn't see, going into this fight, I wouldn't have picked Kelleher just because I'm – like, after learning about how good John Lineker really... He rattled off, like, nine wins in a row after he figured his weight class problem out and stuff. And he's just... He's really, he's got really powerful hands, and he's a really good boxer. And he doesn't do anything fancy. It's just... He does some spinning kicks once in a while, and you're like, what the fuck was that? But just really fundamental shit, and it's hard to deal with. He puts a lot of pressure on you. He comes forward. He can take he can take a punch, too. He's a tough guy to deal with, man. He's a... Uh, Real veteran, and I'd expect him to... We'll, we'll talk about who they're going to fight later. Um, Mackenzie Dern versus Amanda Cooper. And Mackenzie Dern won via first round rear naked choke. But she also missed weight by like seven pounds. So, I mean... What the fuck, right? We got, we got to figure something out with this. And I'll save this till the end because I, I think I have this on like some of the take... Like, I'll do like three of the biggest takeaways from this fight card at the end and we'll talk about it. But this is, this is getting insane. I mean, when you look at Mackenzie Dern too, I hate to say it, but she looks out of shape. I mean, not that she is, but she does not look like, she does not have the build of a 115 pound woman. I mean, she needs to either move up or really get her diet under control. I understand that it's harder for women to cut weight, but when you look at the way she's built, I mean, she's just... She could she could use some toning up. I'm just being fucking honest, right? Um, she's an excellent jiu-jitsu player. She landed a big overhand right that dropped Amanda Cooper, and she was able to swing. You knew once she dropped her, it was kind of... Amanda Cooper would either be fighting to survive the whole time. Like, she was never going to win the round after that. But she was either going to fight to survive or get submitted, and the latter happened. But this weight thing, it's a huge issue, man. And Mackenzie Dern looked like she should be fighting at, like, 135 fucking pounds. And... Didn't look good. She's got to figure something out if she's going to keep doing the sport for an extended period of time. Your nutrition is going to be key in the longevity. In the longevity, 
I can't even fucking talk. In the longevity of your career, it's going to be very important. And you might not think so now because she's so young, she's like 25, but later on down the road, that shit's going to start wearing on you, right? You got you to gotta take care of your body, and I think she could clean things up a little bit. I mean, just from looking at her fight, right? Um, I will say, though, her footwork did look a little bit smoother than her first fight. Not by, like, leaps and bounds. It wasn't this massive improvement. I still think she throws some crazy punches that are going to... She's going to get picked apart if she fights an elite striker in that division. But, I mean, there are things that looked a little bit better. Like, her movement was a little bit more smooth and her head movement was a little bit more fluid. And the punch... She's thrown some nice combos, right? It wasn't like anything... It's not like she put on a striking clinic or anything like that, but... I thought it looked better than her UFC debut, so... Some credit to her there. It looks like her striking's really improving. All right, next, Kelvin Gastelum versus Jacare Souza. Kelvin Gastelum is fucking good. This, this was a tough fight to score. I mean, I could see you giving it either way. I'm surprised that Kelvin Gastelum got the nod because they were in Brazil, but I felt like he won the final two rounds and lost the first. Gastelum is good. I've said this for a long time. Gastelum, first off, has great footwork and fantastic boxing. Probably the best boxing in the 185-pound division. I mean, he's he's so fucking good. And here's the thing. I think that Calvin Gastelum should be fighting at 170 pounds. He's kind of in the same boat as Mackenzie Dern. He needs to get his... But he's making weight. At the, he's, I mean, he struggled with it before, but he seems to be finding a home at 185. The problem is, if you look at his body, it looks like he could shed some body weight and move down to 170. And he, you're talking about a guy who gave problems to Tyron Woodley. Um, he knocked out Michael Bisming. He's knocked out Vitor Belfort. He just beat Jacare Souza. He had a, he gave Weidman some problems until Weidman got on top of him. That was the first fight that Calvin was fighting at 185 where I kind of said, ah, these guys are just a little bit too big for him. But Jacare Souza is a world-class grappler. And once again, Gastelum looked like he improved. Like he always does. This kid is fucking fantastic. He's... with. Potential to be a world title holder. I just think it's going to be harder for him at 185 than it is at 170. I, th- I, I really want to see him get his weight under control. And get, you know what I mean? Trim up. Lose some of that looseness on you. And If he puts it all together, I have n- literally no doubt in my mind that he'd be a champion at 170 pounds. That's how confident I am in this kid. I think he's fantastic. I think he does everything on the feet right he's got he's a hard guy to take down too i mean even these bigger guys at 185 are struggling to drag this guy down to the mat he's tough as fuck man i like gastelum a lot um and jacare had a, i felt like this is one thing i will say i thought that jacare clearly won the first round and in the second and third he was getting the bigger exchanges right i felt like gastelum was putting out a little more volume but when jacare was landing it was like doing some fucking damage right I thought he was doing some damage with his punches. There's a good argument that Jacare won, but the nod went to Gastelum. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, and then Amanda Nunes versus Raquel Pennington. Uh, knocked her out in the fifth round. Pretty much dominated her the whole fight, right? Like, And how can we talk about this fight without talking about what happened in the corner? Where going in to the fifth round, between the fourth and fifth round, Raquel looked at her corner and said, I can't, I, I want to stop. I'm done. I don't have anything left. And now, I mean, shit like that makes it out to mainstream media, like ESPN and people who are like not not completely educated in MMA, right? Like it's this is this is new to them. This wide blanket expo like coverage of the sport is new to them. They're not used to doing this. And I heard a lot of people say, 
I mean, just off hearing that, they're like, oh, well, they should have stopped the fight. They should have stopped the fight. Why didn't they stop the fight? Fighter said she wanted to stop. No reason for the fight to keep going on. But, and I get that. Trust me. I understand that side of the argument. I do. But what you guys don't realize is, or a lot of people, I mean, I say, I don't, it's not like I realize, right? I think I'm just aware of the fact that, like, I don't have personal experience with this, but I'm aware of the fact that certain corners and certain fighters, different things work for different people. Like, some people like to get fucking smacked in the face before they go into a fight. And for other people, you got to crack jokes for them. And for some people, you got to get them fired up. And people like to listen to music. Some people like silence. There's a lot of different dynamics and personalities that you're dealing with. And one of the things I'm wondering is if, what if in training, or when things start getting a little bit tough, Raquel says stuff like that, or things similar to that, and then her corner's like, fuck that, you can do it. Or the people in her gym are like, no, 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 you're not quitting, get up, go, go, go. And that gives her fuel. It could be. Maybe that's a habit that she has. And you guys have to think too, don't get me wrong, she was losing. But the outcome of this fight made it seem much more drastic than what was happening in rounds one through four. I mean, Amanda Nunes dropped her, got on top of her, got on her back and started wailing on her and blood's pouring out of her face. And I understand that looks bad. But rounds one through four, while obviously tilted in Amanda Nunes' favor, we're not like the craziest beatdowns I've ever seen. I've seen people go into rounds in worse shape than Raquel was in. And I think her corner knew that. And when you have a fighter who has put their heart and soul into an eight or six week camp, however long it was, you're getting ready for a fucking five round title fight against the best 135 pound fighter, female fighter, arguably who has ever lived. And you're about to go into the fifth round with her. And if any magic's going to happen, there's only five minutes left to do it, right? You've only got five minutes to pull off a massive upset and turn this thing around. And I think they they asked the coach and her girlfriend, Tisha Torres, afterwards what they thought about it. And they said if she would have walked away, she would have regretted it for the rest of her life. And I completely agree. You had five minutes to go out there and find out if you could do it and if you could even survive. There's some, there's some pride in that, some confidence in that. Obviously, it didn't work out that way. But I'm kind of on the, I'm on the corner side on this, man. You guys, I don't know what Raquel Pennington's tendencies are in the gym i don't know anything about her i don't know what it takes to get her motivated i don't know what it takes to get that fire lit under her ass but her camp and her girlfriend do and they seem to agree that the right thing to do was to send her into the fifth round there are no other people on planet earth that are gonna have that are gonna know if they did the right thing other than raquel and her corner i'm gonna side with the corner on this one as much as your personal beliefs might be kicking in and saying like Oh, well, she said she wanted to stop. Yeah, but did she really? Or was she just expressing frustration? You got to think you're in the middle of a fist fight and you're clearly losing and you know you only got five minutes left and you're feeling defeated. Maybe you're not feeling like beat up up here, but you're just feeling defeated emotionally. The coach has got to send you back out and try to push you through that because what if you do pull it off? You know what I mean? It's, it's much more complex than people are making it out to be. I think there's a lot going on there. And like I said, I'm... I'm not saying that your opinion is either valid or invalid, right? You're entitled to your opinion. I just think in this particular situation, no one knows Raquel Pennington like her coaches do and her teammates. So I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to them. I'm trusting in the decision that they made. All right. Let's talk about what's next for the defeated. I used to say losers, and then I felt so bad because I feel like these people put so much work into what they do. And it's such a tough sport and such a, like, I mean, 
they pour everything into this, and then all of a sudden, you like it can be yanked away from you from a. I mean, you get clipped one time, and you can get dropped, knocked the fuck out, and then the fight's over, right? All that work you put in for eight weeks or six weeks or however long your camp was is ended on one punch. So I hate to call them losers. I'm going to start referring to them as defeated, much more sophisticated, right? Um, Vitor Belfort is obvious. Retirement. Don't do this fucking Legends League shit that you're talking about where you get all these old-ass fighters to come. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that to your brains. Don't do that to... Just for the sake of the sport, don't don't open something like that up. Just retire. Be involved in MMA and mentoring young people. I mean, Vitor could open... I don't know. Maybe he already does, but... If Vitor opens up some type of gym and mentors young fighters, it's going to make tons of money. He's got a ton of knowledge to bring to the sport. Been around for a long time, knows what the fuck he's doing, and he's got a massive name, especially, I mean, even in America, but especially in Brazil. People love him, right? Vitor's the fucking man. So, enjoy your retirement. Um, For Brian Kelleher, I don't know. I, I, I want to say a guy like Eddie Wineland, but what the fuck's going on with him? I feel like he hasn't fought in a year or so. Not really sure... What's up with him? But I'd like to see that fight because I think Eddie Wineland might have lost his last fight. But I think he fought like a year ago. But I'd still like to see Brian Keller. I still want to see him fight a big name because he has a victory over Henan Barrow. And now he has a loss to John Lineker. And I mean, he got handled by Lineker, but he looked competitive, right? Like he didn't look terrible or anything. So I think a fight with a name, it doesn't have to be Eddie Wineland, but a fight with a name similar to the, uh, I guess like the popularity that Eddie Wineland would have would be good for him. He still deserves a name. Um, for Amanda Cooper, I'm on the exact opposite end. I couldn't even give you a fucking name. And it's unfair to her that she lost this fight. I know she didn't have to accept it, but you're trying to get paid. It's not as easy as just backing out when someone misses weight. You're talking about Amanda Cooper, not Conor McGregor. Her financial stability could very well be determined by the outcomes of her fight. She has to accept. She has to pay her camp. She has to pay her nutritionist. She has to pay a bunch of shit, right? She's got to she's got to live. This is her living. I mean, and then if, if you're one of those people who hear that and you're saying, "Well, get a fucking job. Why don't you get a fucking job so you can make some extra money?" Because the UFC is a full time job. If you're not committing to the UFC with everything that you have, then you're going to get blown out by fighters who are committing to it. Plain and simple. You're never going to catch up because while you're spending eight hours a day fucking slaving away at whatever job you have, they're spending that additional time learning about fighting or training for fighting all their time gets dedicated to it and they're young and fucking hungry so they have the energy to do it so i don't want to hear that bullshit they need to it needs to be fixed fighters and this 10 percent of the purse thing is bullshit too the fighters we can i'll ramble on about this later let's move on for uh but for amanda i just don't know i just don't know that much about the 115 pound division when you start getting outside of even like the top 10 so when you get outside of the top 15 i've got a hard time giving you a name but i don't know i'm i'm sure she's gonna get another fight especially considering mckenzie missed weight so badly um for jacare man i don't know maybe Maybe a rematch with Luke Rockhold. They fought. They fought back in the strike force days, and Luke Rockhold's coming off a loss to Yoel. Jacare's coming off a loss to Gastelum. That fight might make sense. I think that'd be a fun fight to see because that happened like seven years ago. I think it was in like 2011 when they fought. So I think that'd be an interesting fight. I'd, I'd still have a. That'd be a fun watch, right? But maybe if not Luke Rockhold, maybe a guy like uh, Tiago Santos who got knocked out by David Branch. That'd be a fun fight. David Branch was good, man. He doesn't get enough credit holding two titles over in World Series of Fighting. 
defending them both. He's a motherfucker, man. He's smart. He's a veteran. Got shit going on. But I like, if it's me, if I had to pick, I would do Jacare Rockhold. I don't know if Rockhold's booked up for anything, but I like that fight a lot. Uh, Raquel Pennington. I don't know. Maybe Juliana Pena or the Holly Holm rematch. But that depends on the Megan Anderson outcome, right? Because I think Holly Holm is, I mean, from the way things are looking, planning on staying at 145 pounds. But if she loses, she might come down to rematch Raquel Pennington. Not positive. I don't know. I, 135 is kind of a weird landscape, too, because it looks like things are building for Amanda Nunes and Cyborg to fight. But I would imagine that Cyborg is going to get the winner of the Holly Holm and Megan Anderson fight. So maybe it would make sense for Raquel to get the loser of Holly Holm and Megan Anderson? Or Juliana Pena. I don't know. One of the two. I think I think those would make sense. I think there's a lot of options still at 135 because the women's weight classes are still working themselves out, and 145 is pretty new. So and 125 is pretty new. So people are trying to figure out where they belong. Like, do I need to be at 115? Should I be at 125? Ah, 145 feels too big. I better be at 135. Like, there's a lot of sorting out going on, right? So, um, I think over the next couple years, there's going to be a lot of adjustment, and then it'll get more definitive about who belongs in what division. But right now, Raquel kind of has the leniency to bounce around if she wants to a little bit. She's got some different options there. But Megan Anderson, Holly Holm loser might make sense. If she's willing to go up or they're willing to come down, right? That's the only way it would happen, but I don't know. All right, and then for the victorious, Leota Machida. Maybe the guy we were just talking about, right, and David Branch. I think that fight makes some sense. You don't want to hand Leoto a guy like, I don't know. You don't want to throw him like a Gastelum right now because I don't think, I think Gastelum is on the cusp of a title shot, and I don't think Leoto deserves to be especially coming off that. He got in trouble for some steroids and stuff, right? So I think a fight with David Branch makes sense is my point because David Branch lost to Rockhold. They both have mutual losses in Rockhold, both coming off wins now. And pretty, they're both coming off knockout wins too. So I think that has potential to be a fun fight. I, I think David Branch makes a lot of sense. I would expect to see them. I'd expect to see that be the matchup made. And for John Lineker, uh, I think Rafael Sunsau's booked, right? But maybe... The winner of whoever the Sun is fighting. I can't remember who he's fucking fighting. Or Dominic Cruz. I mean, Dominic Cruz has been sitting there injured without an opponent. Who's he going to fight? I mean, Cody's rematching TJ. You're talking about... Cruz is considered one of the best bantamweights of all time, and I think it's a good test for Lineker. I think that Cruz's movement is very confusing, very hard to predict. And I think it would give Lineker a different look than he's ever seen in his career so far. I mean, TJ is a master of movement too. He has beautiful footwork and stuff and takedowns, but TJ was able to implement some of his wrestling background when he fought Lineker, right? I think it'll be a little bit more of a standing up battle if John Lineker gets a fight with Dominic Cruz. That'd be a fun fight. Uh, so either Hassan Sao winner or Dominic Cruz. If you guys know who Hassan Sao is fighting, let me know because I can't fucking think of it. Um, Mackenzie Dern, I would say give her a name in the top 15 or she's got to fucking move up to 125 if this is going to continue to be a problem. I mean, if you can't make weight, don't fucking fight at that weight class. To me, it's as simple as that. And I know fighters have this thing where they're like, oh, all these fans talking shit. They don't know what it's like to cut weight. You're right. We don't, but it's also not our job to. You guys are here to fight. And I'm not only concerned with the weight, with the weight because... 
like I'm not just disappointed that you didn't make it and I'm pissed off. I'm pissed because it's unfair to your opponent and it's not good for you. Like if you're having a hard time weight cutting, it means you're in a, like a really hard time, like seven pounds over, you're in the wrong fucking weight class. It's unfair to both your opponent and it's not good for your health. I don't like to see you. That's why it pisses me off. I'm not like pissed at you for missing weight. I'm pissed that your opponent has to fight someone who didn't make weight. It's unfair to them. And it's not fair to yourself either. You're never going to fight at your full capabilities if you're completely draining yourself and can't even make weight. I mean, being seven pounds over is fucking ridiculous. That's It needs to be cleaned up, plain and simple. It wasn't fair to Amanda Cooper, and I have no doubt it was hard to Mackenzie Dern's body. But if you're going to sign a contract to fight at 115, make the fucking weight. Eat right. Hire a nutritionist if you have to. You're fighting in the UFC now. It's not this regional scene where that shit's going to get overlooked. It's going to be in national headlines. Make the fucking weight. Which, I mean, and, and it's not even like for Mackenzie Dern. It's not even like there aren't other weight classes. Like for her, there's a weight class 10 pounds up. You obviously had, I mean, you were already 7 pounds over while trying to cut. Why don't you just cut to 125 and fight there if you can't get shit under control? I don't know. The, to- the only reason I get so fired up about that topic is because, I mean, fighters this year are 6-0 when they miss weight. That's, that's not right. That shouldn't be happening. And like I said before, the fighter on the other side of that who's forced to accept the fight, they, I mean, they have to. They have to get paid. They want the win bonus. They want everything, right? They might get like 10% of their purse or 20% of the purse or whatever the fuck it is, but like that's not the main source of their income. They're trying to fight. They just went through. The, they also, money aside, they just went through a camp and they want to fight. I mean, you just put yourself through hell and the reward is getting to go in there and put on a show, right? That's how I'm sure most guys look at it. Wait, there's no excuse for Mackenzie Dern here. It's not like there's a weight class above her that she can't move up to. 125 is 10 pounds up. Can't make 115. Move to 125. Easy as that. Um, Calvin Gastelum, though. I mean, I, I I was just ranting about how I think he'd 100% be a champion at 170. I'd really believe that. But there's a good argument that Calvin Gastelum should fight the winner of Yoel Romero and Robert Whitaker for the title. Who else is he going to fight? Weidman sidelined with injuries and stuff, right? He's been kind of injury-prone dealing with that shit, trying to get it all figured out. I don't know who else you give this guy. I mean, he just beat Jacare. He's beat Bisbing. He's beat Vitor. I don't know who else you give him other than the winner that, you know, and, and I know you, you, if that happens, you'll probably hear from Weidman about how Weidman beat him, but Weidman hasn't been healthy lately. It's been a long time since he fought, man. Gasolum's had, I think, two fights since then. Two or three fights since then. One of the two. And he looked fantastic on Saturday night. So, do not be surprised if Calvin Gastelum gets a title fight against whoever wins at UFC 225 in Chicago. I really think that's going to be the next move for him. He's fucking incredible, man. He's going to be... And a fight with either Yoel Romero or Robert Whitaker is an exciting fight. It'll tell us a lot about Calvin Gastelum. That's for fucking sure. And Amanda Nunes. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with her. Like I said, it feels like Megan Anderson and Holly Holm. It feels like the winner of that would should fight Cyborg. But in reality, I think the fight to make right now is Amanda Nunes versus Cyborg. I think you're talking about two of the most dangerous women in the world. Cyborg's probably a little bit bigger, but Amanda Nunes is not a small girl by any means. She has some serious power on her hands, and she... Great combinations, uses all of her tools very well. Punches, kicks, kicks to the body, leg kicks. I mean, she's attacking you everywhere. She looked 
She put on a clinic Saturday night against Raquel Pennington. So, I mean, maybe Amanda Nunes could also fight the loser of Megan Anderson or Holly Holm. That doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but I don't know what else to do for Amanda. I think that the Cyborg Super Fight is probably the way to go. But like I said, it feels like Anderson and Homer. Well, if Holm beats Anderson, then undoubtedly Nunes should fight Cyborg, right? Because Holm's already lost to Cyborg. So I think the Nunes fight would make a lot of sense there. But if Anderson wins, Cyborg and Anderson have been talking about fighting for a while, so that fight might happen. I don't know. Like I said, 135 and 145, I just feel like it's got a lot of sorting out to do. All the female divisions kind of do, so we'll see what happens. I personally would love to see Amanda Nunes versus Cyborg, especially after the performance that Amanda just put on. All right, three biggest takeaways. Um, one we've already harped on for quite a while. Missing weight is turning into a massive problem. Fighters are fucking 6-0 and after missing weight. It's unfair to the opponent. It's, un- it's not healthy for the person who misses weight who's putting their body through that. Um, yeah, I'll quit harping about that because we did a pretty good job of bitching about that with Mackenzie Dern. But that pisses me off. You know, make the goddamn weight. Make, I mean, and it's, it, it, when it's like one or two pounds and maybe if it was short notice, I don't even bat an eye at it. I'm like, what the fuck ever. Like when Yoel Romero missed against uh, Rockhold, I was like, eh, it was kind of short notice. It was like by a pound or two. Big fucking deal. Rockhold doesn't care. And it's not going to make a difference in the outcome of the fight. But when you're talking about seven pounds and you knew this fight was coming, you fucked up. Or six pounds, whatever the fuck it was. Um, Next takeaway, there is a massive gap. Mighty Mouse ask, right? Like a Mighty Mouse kind of gap between Amanda Nunes and the rest of the 135-pound division, or so it would seem. I mean, who's going to compete with her right now? Right? She dominated Ronda Rousey, beat Valentina Shevchenko twice, I believe, so the odds of that happening a third time are slim to none. Valentina probably gave her her most competitive fights. I mean, I know she's lost before, granted and stuff, but right now it looks like Amanda's up here and everyone else is kind of fighting right here. That'll change. I, maybe, right? It hasn't changed with Mighty Mouse yet. That's my that's kind of my point here. It just seems like there's a big... It seems like everyone at 135 is kind of hanging out like right in this level, right? And then Amanda Nunes is up here. Like so far above the rest of the fucking division. It's insane. Because uh, Raquel Pennington is no fucking joke, man. She beat Holly Holm, right? I mean, Raquel Pennington's good. And she just got dominated. But yeah, I think that gap... Uh, 145, 135 for women both have a massive gap between Cyborg and the rest of the division at 145 and Amanda and the rest of the division at 135. And uh, third takeaway is probably the Calvin Gaslam's ready for a title shot at 185. Like I said, the landscape of the, 180, of the middleweight division is pretty weird right now. So it sounds strange that Gastelum should be getting a title shot, but I don't know who else he fucking give it to. Can't give it to Weidman. Can't give it to Rockhold because he just lost to Romero. Can't give it to Machida yet. Can't give it to David Branch because he lost to Rockhold, who lost to Romero, like we just said. Yeah, there's just not a whole lot of people up there that are I think are deserving of the shot, so I think you're going to see Calvin Gastelum go in and get it. That's crazy. Because I always thought that if he won a title, I thought he would look good at 185, but not as good as he's looked. I mean, you're talking about a guy who won the Ultimate Fighter but was picked last on it. Now he's going to be fighting for the 185-pound title. That's pretty impressive, right? 
shocked a lot of people. And he continues to get better every single fight. And he's, like I said, he's a hard guy to take down. So even if you are Romero, a guy who you're like, well, maybe Yoel will just take him down. But Gaslam has good takedown defense. So maybe it's not as easy for Yoel to drag him to the ground. Yoel's such a high-level wrestler, though, like an Olympic-caliber wrestler coming out of those fucking programs where they create machines in Cuba. I don't know. I think Gaslam deserves it, though. I think that's what you're going to see next. And I think he gives both guys a really tough fight. Um, I am going to do a dissection for the fights coming up this weekend that are headlined by Damian Maya and Kamaru Usman. Not a whole lot of big names on this fight. I don't think it's going to get a ton of views or attention, really. But Kamaru Usman is phenomenal at 170 pounds. He's been giving a lot of people problems. A lot of people have been ducking him. And he's fighting a guy in Damian Maya who's a veteran. I mean, a real veteran. One of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners that's ever come into MMA. So, and Usman's a guy who can do it all. But I think he relies pretty heavily on wrestling a lot of the time, right? Like, he mixes in his takedowns. And do you want to go into that world with Damian Maya? And are you able to prevent Maya from taking you down as efficiently as like Tyron Woodley did? I don't know. We're going to fucking find out. That it'll, I think it's going to be a good fight card. I'm not saying it won't be a good card. There's just not a lot of big names on it that a lot of people would recognize. I don't even fucking recognize half of them. Right? Not that I'm this MMA guru or anything, but like I watch it enough that I know a lot of the fighters on the cards and I don't, I don't know a lot of the people on there. I have a lot of catching up and fucking research to do for the for the breakdown for that one. But I think that's going to wrap this episode up, guys. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time. Later.